0: This is the MTA Podcast, episode 379.
1: This episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker. Using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside you and offer you science backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. You can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash MTA. Save 25% by visiting insidetracker.com forward slash MTA.
0: And thanks to Tribit, makers of the MoveBuds H1 wireless sport earbuds. No matter how vigorous you are training or how bad the weather gets, the MoveBuds H1 are waterproof, sweatproof, comfortable, and they fit securely. Go to Tribit.com. Use the code MTA to get 10% off. That's T R I B I T. Tribit.com. Use the code MTA for 10% off. <laughs> Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we inspire and empower you to run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor.
1: And I'm Angie.
0: In this episode, we speak with Kira D'Amato, a 37-year-old mother of two who broke the American record in the marathon this year, running two nineteen twelve. And don't forget, you can get all of our resources, back podcast episodes, and more inside the Academy. We can't help you topple the American record, but we can help you set your own personal record. Find out how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. How'd you like that, Angie? Pretty clever, huh? Of course. So between now and the last time we recorded, the New York City Marathon Lottery has once again rejected you. (laughs) Yes.
1: I don't know. It's maybe been the 11th or 12th rejection that I've gotten. So, And I know there's a lot of people who did not make it in the lottery either because I just saw that the New York City Roadrunners announced unparalleled interest in the 2022 marathon. They had more than 84,000 entries into the lottery.
0: 84,000. That's right. And speaking of marathons, Angie, you have the Boston Marathon coming up in just 18 days. And uh, two days before the marathon on the Saturday, that's April 16th, you're going to be co-hosting a discussion panel with our friends at UCAN. It'll be at 1230 at the Boston Sheridan.
1: That's right. The event is called Boston and Beyond, Running Your Personal Best. And the guests on the panel are going to be Meb Kofleski, Emily Sisson, Emma Bates, and Tommy Runs. So it's going to be a really exciting um, hour and a half. And you can either go over to the UCAN page to find out more, or we will be putting out information on our social media as well.
0: We are really excited about our interview today. It was an honor to speak with Kira. Before we jump into that, we want to make some shout outs to people in the community doing awesome things. So Angie, what do you have for us?
1: That's right. We got this nice note from Jamie. She says, my weight loss journey started with seeing a post for the MTA 100 mile challenge. I started a year and a half ago at 230 pounds and today I'm at 155. Thank you so much for all the running motivation.
0: Yeah. And she posted this video montage. We, uh, we actually got permission to share it on our website, and you can find it over there, but that's so awesome. Not only is she doing our challenges, but it looks like she's also doing in-person races now, so it's really exciting stuff.
1: For sure. Keep up the great work, Jamie. This message comes from Jacob. He says, I started listening to your podcast around September of 2021 when a friend asked if I wanted to train for a marathon. After listening for a few weeks, I decided to purchase the beginner training program. I have been running for about 10 years, but had never decided I wanted to put in the time for the full marathon. The training plan and your podcast most certainly kept me motivated and on track. My two friends and I all finished the Shamrock Marathon this past weekend. While I wasn't able to break the four-hour mark, my race went extremely well. I never hit any crazy walls like I did in training, and I was able to finish with a time of 4.04. Thank you so much for all you do. You made such a hard thing manageable.
0: Well, wow, that's a great time for his first marathon. Congrats, Jacob, on putting in the hard work. Sounds like your training went well, and uh, congrats on running your first marathon.
1: And this comes from Steven, who is an Academy member. He says, hey, MTA, I'm super happy to report that I ran the Tobacco Road Marathon yesterday and got a PR of over two minutes with a time of three hours, 55 minutes and three seconds. It's been almost three years since my last marathon and over four years since my first marathon. So finishing strong and happy as well as getting a PR was cathartic for me. I've had a number of experiences in marathons and other races when I bonked or cramped up, unable to finish in my goal time. So I was nervous pretty much the whole time until mile 24 that it might happen again. But I trusted my legs and my training. I stayed patient even when many people were passing me and just executed my plan. Thank you to MTA for all the resources and for this community for all the inspiration to keep trying.
0: Awesome. I like how he said I kept patient when people were passing me (laughs) (laughs) because... We've probably all had that experience, and uh, you can kind of get in this negative headspace if you're not careful.
1: Oh, for sure, and you can kind of blow up your whole race strategy, especially in the first half of the marathon, if you see people passing you, and then you increase your pace beyond what you should be running to try to avoid having these people pass you. So you kind of have Mm -hmm. to lay aside your pride and just stick with your plan like Stephen was talking about, and he did it so well, and it's really exciting to see his success.
0: We'd also like to say congrats to uh, one of our coaching clients, Gretchen. She finished her first 50 miler. It's a trail 50 that she did in the Ozark Mountains there in Arkansas. She works with Coach Henry and shared her thoughts. She said, when we crossed the finish line, I felt great and I could have kept going. My watch only said 48 miles, as did everyone else's. I was really disappointed because I wanted to get to the 50 mile mark. My two pacing buddies said, let's get you to 50. So we hopped on another trail and ran two more miles. I'm super proud of myself. My feet have quite a few blisters, but other than being tired, I feel amazing. Thank you for giving me the confidence that I could do what my mind and heart dreamed of doing. Thanks for everything. And that comes from Gretchen. So congrats, Gretchen, on conquering a 50-miler, a tough trail 50-miler.
1: Yeah, that's so exciting to hear.
0: So today we're talking with Kira D'Amato. Angie, what can you tell us about Kira?
1: Kira is an elite runner who holds the Women's American Marathon record of two nineteen twelve, which was set at the Houston Marathon in 2022. She also holds the world record at the 10-mile distance with the time of fifty one twenty three, set in 2021. Kira, of course, doesn't have enough to do with all that running. She's also a realtor. She's a mother of two kids, and she resides in the Richmond, Virginia area.
0: You're being ironic, right?
1: Yes, I was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, she's an amazing person. And I think when she broke that record, the response online was, let's go Google Kira D'Amato because we've never heard of her, right?
1: Yeah. People who especially were outside of running circles had really, you know, she wasn't on the radar.
0: And Dina Castor, who had the record for so long, Dina's record stood for like 16 years or something, right?
1: She set that in 2006. Yeah. So yeah, a very long time. And so now Dina and Kira are the only American women who have run under 220 in the marathon.
0: And we want to thank the Richmond marathon for connecting us with Kira. She, uh, lives in Richmond, loves the Richmond Marathon. We'd like to invite you to be part of this year's Richmond Marathon, by the way. It's gonna take place November 12th. Should be lovely fall colors that time of year. And it's also the 45th year of doing this race. They've got a lot of experience. It's a nonprofit. People are just passionate about their city and about running, just like what you're gonna hear uh, from Kira today in the interview. So go over to richmondmarathon.org to learn more. It's great for first timers. It's got a fast downhill finish. They've also had a half marathon and an 8K. I plan on being at the half uh, again this year. So, love to see you there. RichmondMarathon.org. Without further ado, here's our conversation with fastest woman American marathoner, Kira D'Amato. Well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. Now that I'm well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. way. Okay, we're on the podcast now with Kira D'Amato joining us from Virginia, right?
2: Yeah, Richmond, Virginia, baby.
0: Beautiful place. Welcome to the MTA Podcast. Great to have you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, first of all, we want to say congratulations on your awesome new American record in the marathon, which was set at the Houston Marathon. And we totally want to dive into that. But we always like to ask guests how they got started into running because everyone's story is so unique.
2: Yeah, I started... Pretty much just as an athlete growing up, like whatever I could play, I was in. So I had two brothers that were really close in my age, and we would just go outside and play like our own sports or kickball or soccer or football or whatever it was. So I think I just loved playing growing up, and I played soccer and basketball, and I was on the swim team and tennis, and and I found I was naturally. A gifted athlete, but I think it was because I was pretty quick. So I could beat everyone to the ball. And then when I got to the ball, I wouldn't know what to do with it, but I was (laughs) the first one there.
1: (laughs) Which is what makes running a perfect sport because there is no ball, you know? You just have to be quick, right?
2: Exactly. And it's funny because even in soccer games, I remember so vividly thinking, man, like we're losing by three goals. This sucks. Losing sucks. But you know what? Maybe if it was a race around the field, maybe like three laps around the field, I think I'd win that. So you know what, that's okay. I may be losing (laughs) in soccer today. But if this was a race, I think I could win that.
1: Now, is it true that you started running as an effort to kind of impress your soccer coach?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Soccer is in the spring in Northern Virginia, where I grew up. So I thought if I joined the uh, cross country team, he'd think that I'm really fit, and I'd get in good shape. And then I could run the whole 90 minutes of a soccer game. And again, when he saw me get to the ball, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do with him, but I'd be the first one there.
1: <laughs> and how did that first cross country race go for you? I mean, were you like naturally in love with running? Or was it kind of like one of those things where it was really hard and you kind of had to like have a process of falling in love with running? Yeah, it was a
2: process for me. I think my first race ever feels a lot like every race that somewhere in the race, I thought, why am I doing this? This is crazy. This hurts. Like there's not enough air that can get into my lungs right now. My legs are burning. I voluntarily did this. Why am I doing this? And then like you push through that and you finish and you're so proud of yourself. You doubted that if you could even go forward and somehow you pulled it together and convinced yourself to finish. So, so then right afterwards I was like, wow, this is great. But then it was the cycle of that. I remember my first cross country season, every race, I told myself, this is the last time I'm gonna run ever. Hmm. And then I'd finish and be like, okay, that really wasn't so bad. And then I'd be in the race and be like, yeah, this is terrible, why am I doing this again? So it took me a little bit to learn to love it.
0: And for even more punishment, you decided to do a marathon. <laughs> so what led to that decision?
2: That's a really good question. So, my first marathon I did was in 2013. Uh, It was after the Boston bombings that I felt like it was my way to be Boston strong and to stand Mm -hmm. up. So, my husband and I, we weren't training at all then, but we picked a marathon in uh, Missoula, Montana in July, which was kind of a little bit at altitude. Or that's why I tell myself that it did not go very well. It wasn't from like the lack of preparation or anything. But so that was really how it started just to show that we're resilient and we're strong and to kind of step up. And then I did that race and had the same feeling that I had in every other one of my first races that I was like, I am not a marathoner. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And I mean, I think I made it to like 16 or 18 miles and then I just stopped and walked for a while And then walked and ran it in. And I was stopping at every single like gummy bear station, just like taking fistfuls of gummy bears and just chewing them, not even trying to like eat and walk. I would just stop. And they're like, you can do this. I'm like, don't tell me what to do. Like, I am going to get to the finish, but I'm going to take my time at this point. So I finished just thinking I'm not a marathon runner. And then um, after that, I had two children and got back into running really for like physical reasons and then for like mental reasons. Hmm. And uh, I just kind of fell in love with the slow, patient pace of the marathon, I guess.
0: So when you're at the Missoula marathon and you're walking and eating handfuls of gummy bears, you didn't think to yourself, I'm going to set the American record someday.
2: (laughs) Absolutely not. I thought to myself, this is my last marathon ever. I'm going to finish today because I'm not a quitter and I don't quit once I've started something, but this is not for me.
1: Well, I want to kind of like rewind a little bit because you went on to run division one in college and you kind of had running taken away from you sort of as, you know, a matter of speaking because of an injury and then a surgery that you needed to have. Tell us about that journey because, you know, you were a very talented runner. And even though the marathon obviously wasn't on your agenda at that point.
2: Running was my life in college. It was everything I thought about how I structured my day. All of my decisions revolved around running. So after college, I joined a team in the DC area called DC Elite, coached by my now coach Scott Roscoe. And some of my best friends were on the team. me, Akbar was on the team, but also it was headlined by Alan Webb, who set the American record in the mile. And so I was on that team for, I think, just over two years before I started having like a string of perpetual ankle injuries, which I realized. I needed to get surgery to fix like a condition that I had, I guess, since birth, but suddenly just flared up. I think for my level of training, and um, my insurance didn't cover it, so I felt kind of pushed out. But I also like running at that time was was really hard because I felt a lot of pressure from it because I was trying to make it my career. And I wasn't running what I was now, so I wasn't making nearly any money. So I was working part-time jobs just to kind of pay my way to be able to afford to go to these races. So there was a lot of pressure on running then. And you know, I looked at my teammates, specifically like Alan, and he is the hardest working person I've ever met in my life. I have never seen anyone train harder than Alan Webb. And he was so meticulous, you know, he would like measure out strides, he was always working hard. And he was very serious about it. And he was a very fun person, but took running very, very seriously. And I compared myself a lot to him. And I'm not that type. I'm not that meticulous. Like there's some days where I'm like, you know what, I'm good with four strides instead of six, like, (laughs) I really don't feel like doing any more strides today. Or, you know, so it's like, I'm okay, a lot of days just being good with good enough. Hmm. And I was really laid back about it. And I'd be joking around and having fun. And at the time, like, I kind of saw that is Alan is really successful. This is what he does to get successful. And I'm not that type. So in a way, like, I felt a little discouraged that maybe I wouldn't be able to make it at a high level like Alan because I wasn't like Alan. So I think, too, when that injury came, it felt like kind of a sign to, like, just push out and start something else because I'm not like that. So I don't know if I'm going to have that kind of success. So it's been interesting because it kind of took accomplishing what I have this year to really look back and reflect on the difference between me now and me then. And I think I'm putting it together now of why I am I have had so much success because I'm being true to myself and doing it my way. And I'm, you know, I'm good with good enough most of the time. And I think that makes for really consistent training because I'm not overdoing it. But it's just been really rewarding to see that I've been doing this my way and a little more lighthearted and I found success this way. So this was a big, big learning thing for me. But at the time, there was just so much pressure and running was so hard at the time, I wasn't finding the same joy. So when I was pushed out, I kind of, I guess, was kind of okay with it at the time.
1: It's interesting as you look back, because it's possible that you never would have had the success that you've had today if you hadn't had that break and come back to running with just a different perspective, um, bringing more of your true self to it.
2: Yeah, you're completely right. I I don't think I'd recommend my path (laughs) to anyone else. It's a very strange, like I would say, the path less traveled for sure. But I think this was the way that I needed to discover my gift and how I function best. And I guess this is this is the
1: road I took to get here, but. So you told us about that first really tough marathon. And I think a lot of listeners are totally relating to that where they feel like, you know, they wanted to quit at some point during the marathon, they forced themselves to finish and thought, okay, one and done, check. Um, and then you come back a few years later, you've had a couple of kids. Um, what led you to take on that second marathon? The
2: second marathon, It started as just a prank uh, to my husband. So for Christmas, I gifted him an entry into the Shamrock um, Marathon. Yes. And to me, it was such a funny gift because it's actually – I mean, marathon entries are really expensive, so it was actually a really thoughtful gift. But then he wasn't training for a marathon, so (laughs) it was kind of like the worst gift ever that all of a sudden now it's like, wait, you gave me three? How many months? Two and a half months to train for a marathon? Like, what do you – (laughs) So, and I fully like signed him up and just printed out like the confirmation of entry. And so it was kind of, I laughed at him when he opened it, but then I started feeling guilty and I'm like, tell you what, I'll sign up too and I'll, I'll do it with you. And so that was kind of fun because that was a really busy time in our life. We, I just had my daughter four or five months prior to that. And so we had a zero and a one-year-old and he was really active in the Air National Guard at the time, and they were sending him to a lot of different trainings and stuff. So he was in and out a lot. But that was really fun for us to carve out that space to go for a long run together. And he would crush me. You know, he would like go back to the parking lot and then come back and get me and be like cheering me on and everything. But uh, but yeah, that was a fun time. <laughs>
1: I heard at one of your your marathon training periods that you did a root beer float training plan. And so I was really curious to see if that was true and like how that came about.
2: It's so true. <laughs> and it's funny too, because I look back at like what my training plans were then. And again, like I don't know if I'd recommend this plan for everyone or anyone. I don't know if this is really a good thing. But The point of it is I found something, I found what got me really excited about running. And at the time, I wasn't as excited about running as I was about consuming root beer floats. And I was nursing my daughter and I was just craving root beer floats all the time, like multiple times a day. So I finally had to like limit that. And I was like, okay, listen, here's my deal I'm making with myself. If I run 10 miles in one day, I'll get a root beer float at night. That was my way just to manage the root beer float consumption. And then I was really wanted those root beer floats. So I started running 10 miles every day oh to my get goodness. a root beer float. So that's why I call it the root beer float training plan, which it's really silly. But when you think about it, that's 70 miles a week, you know, that's, that's huge. Like no slouchy training, you know, like I was really working it for those root beer floats.
0: Yeah. Do you still do something like that? Like incentivize yourself to go out and run?
2: not like that now, like my motivation and my, uh, the carrots a little bit different at this point now, but yeah, I still treat myself to root beer floats, man. I still, I still really like root beer floats.
1: (laughs) That's right. You deserve it. So the Richmond Marathon happens to be a sponsor of this podcast. We think that whole race is amazing. Now you ran it back in 2017, I heard, and you finished just two minutes off an Olympic Trials qualifier. What was that like? Had you been specifically trying to qualify for the Olympic Trials, or I mean, like what led to that really big breakthrough in your your running? This is another really funny story. So
2: I'm on the root beer float training plan, and like every now and then I would work out and then I throw some long runs in and um, I decided to do the Rich Marathon because it's in my hometown and it's a beautiful course. And everyone I knew and all my runner friends were gearing up for it. So I was kind of okay, yeah, I'll I'll do it too. And I didn't think I could break three hours. So the one that I did in March, I ran 314. And then I'm thinking, well maybe I could do 3 hours if I like trained a little harder and but coming into race week, I remember I got sick like the week before and I just wasn't feeling quite great. But I'm talking to my husband, I'm like I really think I can break 3 hours. And he's like, "Okay, well if you think you could break 3 hours, go out at like like go at 130, 131, go out slow, conservative and then you can pick it up." And that day it was really Cold too, but I've had I think two magical races in my life where nothing hurts. Mm. Like you just feel like you're floating the whole time too. And my I've raced hundreds and hundreds of times, and this is one of those magical days that just nothing hurt. And I get about like six miles in, and I realize I'm going faster than like the pace that my husband and I talked about. He told me two things: one, don't go out too fast, and then tuck in because it was cold and windy. And so I'm coming up onto like six miles and I knew he was going to be around the bin. And I was like, okay, I, I didn't do either of these things. I'm going out too fast and I'm running by myself. So I actually like kind of pulled off to the side and I waited for like a group of guys to catch up to me and I tucked in behind them and I was like, hey guys listen, we're going to see my husband up there. Don't you dare say anything like I haven't been with you the whole time. All right. This is between me and you guys. And they're like, oh, whatever lady. And so we get up to him and he's like, yeah, Kira, way to tuck in with those guys. Great job. So we went by and like all those dudes were were laughing at that. And, uh, and then, but I was going out too fast. So when he saw me, he said to my mother-in-law, his mom, he's like, she went out too fast. She's going to die. She's going to eat it. I don't even know if she's going to finish this. And she's like, cure is tough. She's going to finish. How much do you want to bet? And he's like, I'll bet you a hundred bucks. She oh. either slows down or doesn't finish. And so my mother-in-law was like, bets on. And I think I went through the half. I think I went through it like 127. So probably like three minutes faster than we thought. And then I negative split. I think I ran like 120, which was also a half marathon PR at the time Wow! Mm. to run that split. So it just like kept on getting better and better and better. And then afterwards, they told me about the bet. I'm like, how did you bet against me? He's like, hear me out, hear me out. It's win-win. Because you either die and we're a hundred dollars richer, or <laughs> you know, you have a great race and we don't even care that we lost the hundred dollars.
1: That was pretty smooth how we tried to cover that. That right? was really smooth. Yeah. But it was
2: the Richmond Marathon, I could not recommend it more. I love the Richmond Marathon. I did it again, I think it was in 2018. It's such a beautiful course and it's such a well-run race, and like the last six miles. Or like just steadily downhill with a big mm-hmm. downhill at the end. Oh man, I love I love Richmond.
0: Well I hope you've enjoyed this conversation thus far. Big thanks to Inside Tracker for sponsoring the podcast. They know that no two people achieve health the same way. We have age, genes, nutrition, lifestyle, all those things play a part. So Angie, how does Inside Tracker work exactly?
1: Well, first you go on the website and you choose how to have your blood tested. Different plans let you test at a lab, at home, or you can upload your existing blood test. You fill out some detailed personal profile information about your lifestyle, nutrition, habits, preferences. They have a patented engine that analyzes your data and it generates science-backed recommendations specific to your body's needs. And then you'll be able to see the data. It's all laid out really well. And you can select your goals and customize the recommendations that are most compatible with your lifestyle. And Trevor and I have both used Inside Tracker and actually Kira D'Amato is a big fan of Inside Tracker as well. It's a really great way to make sure that you can be running strong for
0: life. So just go to InsideTracker.com forward slash MTA to get 25% off. InsideTracker.com forward slash MTA. Thanks also to Tribit for sponsoring the podcast. They make the MoveBuds H1. They're designed to offer high-quality audio performance for runners and athletes. The phone calls are ultra clear. There are four microphones and noise reduction technology built in. It eliminates 90% of the background noise. Or you can place it on transparent mode and hear more of the noise around you. And in a day when it's really easy to drop 150 bucks on a pair of earbuds, these ones are actually quite affordable.
1: And even if you don't care about taking phone calls while you're on your run, like I don't, of course, (laughs) one of the great features is that they have such a long playback time. The MoveBuds H1 offer 15 hours of playback per charge and up to 50 hours with the included charging case. So the long battery life ensures that your playlist or your podcast doesn't end before your long run or your marathon does.
0: Check them out at Tribit.com, T-R-I-B-I-T, Tribit.com. Use the code M-T-A for 10% off at checkout. Tribit.com. Use the code M-T-A for 10% off.
1: So one thing a lot of people may not know about you is that you hold the women, American women's 10-mile record as well. Can you tell us about how that unfolded?
2: Yeah. So during COVID, when everything shut down, like my first instinct was like running doesn't have to. Like I'm going to keep the pedal to the metal. I'm not getting any younger here. So let's see what I can do. So when there were no races, I decided to kind of put on my own race. It was a really small race, but I kind of had that 10 mile record in mind because I'm also part of the Credit Union Cherry Blossom 10 mile run. Um, And one of my roles is getting clinic speakers and some of the elite athletes coordinating with them. So um, we had Molly Huddle coming in 2020. And the race director reminded me to remind her what the American record was for 10 miles. So I sent it to her and her agent and just said, you know, by the way, if Molly actually wants to race this, you know, not just come and talk, I think she can get the American record. And then I started doing the math. And I'm like, Hey, I think I can get the American record. <laughs> so when everything shut down, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. Like, I'm going to train. I'm going to make this my goal to try to set an American record. And this is someone who I wasn't sponsored. I didn't have any national titles. Like, I really have no business thinking I can run an American record. But for whatever reason, I just honed in on that mm. 10 mile and created my own race. I called it the Updog 10 Mile Race and put it on in Anacostia Park in D.C., And we opened it up and actually actively recruited other like women, elite women. Molly Seidel came, Emily Durgan, um, Bethany Seishelman, and uh, Suzanne Sullivan. So we had a race of five people. And uh, yeah, I set the American record that day, which actually I found out is also a world record.
1: Wow. Uh, Yes, that's pretty
2: cool. I have a world record for the women's only 10
1: mile. That is amazing. Do you feel like that kind of set up your mindset for going into Houston and being able to run the American record there?
2: Yes and no. Like I think that gave me a lot of confidence about just goal setting and training and going for it. But I kind of looked at the 10 mile as like a low hanging fruit record. And even like as a world record, other, you know, it's not lost on me that other nations track in kilometers. So that's probably the only reason why I have it. (laughs) Um, But it did give me give me some confidence. But like I went into that race thinking like I can be the American record holder in 10 miles going into Houston, thinking about the American record for the marathon. I couldn't wrap my head around that Hmm. at all. It was like just a whole nother animal with Dina Castor holding it for so long. Like yeah. I yeah. couldn't wrap my head around it. I still can't wrap my head around it. So I had to just not think about that part. So instead I was going in to run five eighteens for 26.2 miles. That's how I
1: wrapped my head around the goal that day. So just what you could control. And you know obviously in a marathon so many things can happen. You know, you can go out to run a certain pace and it may just not be in you that day. So just giving it your very best every single mile.
2: Yeah. And like, I remember so vividly standing in the starting light day thinking I'm in shape to run that pace, you know, whether it happens today or not, I have no idea, but if it does happen, that'd be really cool. And if it doesn't, I'm going to be in the same exact spot that I am now and I'm a happy person. So that's okay. You know? (laughs) Yeah. It's uh pretty wild that it all worked out.
0: You mentioned that twice everything has just sort of come together. And the race just felt effortless. It's just been a magical day. So I'm assuming that the second time it happened is in Houston. No. No. (laughs) (laughs)
1: No.
0: Houston
2: was not magic, man. That was one of the hardest races I've ever pushed through. The second race was at the Marathon Project in 2020. I ran. My PR going into that, I think, was... I can't even remember. It was like 234, I think. And I ran a 222 that day and Mm -hmm. nothing hurt. It just, it felt so smooth. I just clicked off the pace. Like it was a little bit of a negative split and that, that was a magical race. But Houston quickly, like getting out, like I, I told myself too, that like nothing needs to be perfect. Like I don't need the perfect day. Like I think I was in shape to run a lot faster than I did. So I knew I had some wiggle room. So I didn't need anything to be perfect. I didn't need to run my best. I just kind of needed to, it to all be good enough. So mm. I'm like, you know, staying on the starting line, I'm like, it's cold and windy, but you know, this is good enough. This is fine. And I get out and I'm feeling like, okay, like I'm not feeling like everything's clicking. I'm not feeling locked in. Like it felt hard from earlier on just staying mm. focused and locked in. But I was thinking, oh, I'm not perfect, but Feel fine. You know, this is good enough. So, yeah, that was definitely not a magical race for me. That really hurt really early on. You know, it almost makes me more proud that, like, that was such a struggle. Like, it came really hard that day.
0: I would love to flesh out a remarkable story that we're seeing unfold here. Kira D'Amato essentially had her running career ended back in 2008 with a major ankle injury a subsequent surgery. People told her she would never run again. Does she simply refused to accept that. And here she is. This is a remarkable effort and story from Kira DeMondo.
2: Oh, it's incredible. I mean, her story alone the american record aside that's been around for forever dina castor the great you know a bronze medalist but to come back after taking that break and you know tells you what running is all about it's resilience strength the never give up attitude and what she's doing is is so fantastic and um i can't
1: wait to see this finishing stretch
0: they gave her one last cue the time cue as she entered the home stretch here she knows exactly what is at stake kira damato there we go. It's been sixteen years. And one of the greatest runners in the world set the American record, two nineteen thirty six. And she just she just beat her by fifteen. Yeah, her seconds. kids right there. Tommy, seven
1: year old Tommy and Quinn there. To greet her there at the finish line.
0: Des, you can see the emotion on her face—not uh, <laughs> just her children, but I think the time as well. She knows what she's accomplished here.
2: Hundred percent. American rabbit is incredibly special. She's worked so hard for this. I mean, this is a new era. So many things like came into play, and I think the biggest thing that happened on that day for me is that—and I feel like kind of the races that I'm even talking about with you are races that like clicked. But in between the races that clicked, I had far more many races that I came up short or I didn't meet my goal. I think there was so many races that did not go my way that like leading into Houston, I was just so tired of falling short. I was just done with losing, I guess. And so like I just went in and I was like, today I'm going to win. Like and there was just no other like I've lost every way I can and I figured out every way to fail. And through that, I figured out how to succeed, which, you know, I kind of kind of learned the hard way, like maybe a couple of those like getting knocked down when, you know, would have been nice without. But I don't know. It made me a lot tougher. And so when I'm going through like 10 or 11 miles and one of my pacers was like, hey, you know, there and it was pretty windy. So I was so fortunate with pacers. If I didn't have pacers that day blocking the wind, I would not have met that goal because it Mm. was it was a really, really windy day. But they blocked a lot of the wind and took a lot of the mental burden as far as pacing off off my shoulders. But at some point, they're like, hey, Kira, there's like a group of guys, like just a couple seconds up that we could go tuck in. So we just need to run a couple seconds faster this mile. And I was like, nope. Like I am at my limit. I cannot go any faster. Like we are staying right here. I'm not running any faster than I am right now. And I think in that moment, that was experience talking that I just knew my body and I knew how easy it is to like break and crumble and hit a wall in a marathon. And I was, you know, not feeling great. So I was able to be just assertive that like, nope, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to run the pace. I'm not going to run a second faster than I need to because I'm going to put money in the bank. So I think you know, that came from not doing that, you know, and kind of being tempted to do that in the past. And, Mm -hmm. um, and then one trick that I do in marathons, like whenever I start getting real negative, I just look for like food or water. So to distract me, so I'm just hangry, you know, and when you get hangry, just like everything sucks. So I'm like, (laughs) so whenever I would start being like, oh, man, this may not happen. I think, okay, where's the water table? get me a gel. I need something to drink. I need something. So then I was just focusing water stop to water stop, which kind of broke the race down for me. And then like my daughter was like super into that dynamite song at the time. And that's not a new song. But like every other song I heard along the course was that song. And that gave me so much energy. I'm like, I don't know who else really likes this song right now. I mean, it's a really peppy, happy song. Mm -hmm. I just kept hearing that. And I kept feeling how much of my family has been with me on this journey and how much they've sacrificed for me to be pursuing this goal. And that brought me a lot of strength during the race. And then also, I think the biggest thing that I've learned, too, is I call it the embrace the suck in a race when everything hurts, like, what do you say to yourself in that moment? And most of the time, it's just natural to kind of ease off the gas in that. But I've really been working mentally, like, what do I say and prepping for that moment to come? And what I've said, that internal dialogue has has evolved for me throughout my whole career. And, you know, it started out as like a quote or motivational like phrase, and then it turned into specific like drop your shoulders, you know, put in a quick surge or kind of just specific things that I could do to focus on. And then I just tried to get into really like positive self talk. But then I realized, you know, just saying like, do your best. That was actually allowing me to slow down because I would just say, well, my best is slowing down. (laughs) So then I got to this point where when I get to that, I almost like invited that in and just realizing that that is the point that is going to make or break this race. It's going to turn a bad race into a decent race or a good race into a great race. Or in my case, I'm thinking if I can work through this, I can hit my goal. And so I just, I practiced so hard even in workouts or in races before that when I got to that point, just welcoming it and knowing this is where the magic happens. So working through this and just believing that I can work through this, this is the magic that's going to turn this into a really special race. So yeah, I think there was a lot of things going on and I had, you know, two hours and 19 minutes to, <laughs> to mm-hmm. grapple with all that, but um, it was a mental uh,
1: circus, I guess. Yeah, I think uh, the marathon provides a lot of time for a lot of thoughts to go through our heads. And what you described is going to be super encouraging to listeners who have had those races that have just sucked. And they thought maybe like this isn't for me. But that breakthrough could be just right around the corner if you don't give up and realizing that even if a race isn't clicking from the very beginning doesn't mean that great things can't happen that you still can't reach your goal.
0: Not just that race, but the whole story arc that you've been (laughs) sharing with us of your career.
2: Well, and I think that part of it is every time I haven't met my goal, like I think maybe it's that my ego or that I'm so stubborn. So there was a race where I was trying to break 230. I ran 234 and I walked away like, well, I didn't break 230 today, but I'm a 230 marathoner. Like I don't need that race to validate that I know I'm a 230 marathoner. And then the next race, I thought I was in like 226 pace and I ran another 234. And I'm like, man, like- I'm a 226 marathoner. Why am I running 234? And I'm like, you know what? That's okay. I'm a 226 marathoner. But by the time I went to try to run 222, in my head, I was already a 226 marathoner, even though my PR was a 234. So I'm showing up trying to run 222 as a 226, which is so much more achievable. But I think we put so much emphasis on races to be that indicator of our fitness. And I think that we ultimately know whether it pans out that day or it doesn't. I think that you need to acknowledge that the fitness is still there, you know, and you can still build upon that whether you reach your goal or not that day.
1: So you kind of talked about the circus of emotions and thoughts. I'm sure once you crossed that finish line, though, it probably felt like the circus descended upon you in a literal sense, just because everyone is celebrating your new record and just all the media attention, you know, probably sponsors. I mean, what was that whole process like? And I mean, what has it been like? It's still fairly fresh, you know?
2: Yeah. I was just confused. (laughs) Like when I crossed the finish line, I just kept saying like, what just happened? Mm. (laughs) Like I was so confident I could run that pace, but I just didn't know if it was going to happen that day. And the fact that it did, and I didn't feel great and the weather wasn't awesome. And I think that I was training so hard to run that pace and I did that. But I, I wasn't thinking about the gravity and I wasn't thinking about anything past the finish line. Like, mm. And even in my training, at some points I'd think like, oh, well, if I finish and I get the American record then and I would just stop. I would say, listen, you cannot think past that until you've been there. So don't even start dreaming about any of that until you accomplish that. So it was, I just felt confused because it was such new territory for me. So I just didn't even know what to do with myself afterwards. They like gave me the American flag. I've never been given an American flag after a race before. Like what a huge honor. Like I didn't know what I was doing with it. I was just running around waving the flag, you know, but oh man, it was really cool. And just having my family there. And my husband climbed a few fences to come like celebrate with me, which was just funny. I don't know. I just kept saying like, what just happened? But then I also remember telling my husband, I'm never doing that again. Like that was my last race. Like I literally left it all out there today. I'm never doing that again. And he's like, okay, whatever you say, but-
0: so you need to develop some sort of power pose at the finish line, like Usain Bolt sort of pose. Yes.
2: I would love. Do you want to help me come up with? You a pose the Kira. Like that? I would love a Kira pose. I guess. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I got to work on that. But that would that would be really cool and iconic Kira pose. Yes, that's
0: right. So your husband had to jump fences to come and greet you and give you a hug. And did the media like swarm in at that point? And
2: yeah, I think so. But I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't really aware of any of that like I was just like confused I don't know I don't know how else to say it but it started then hitting me like the gravity of everything started hitting me on what that meant and then waiting for like the press conference my agent Ray Flynn got a call from Dina Castor who said you know she congratulated me and she she said when she broke Joni's record Joni called her and now she's calling me and that's when it felt like real Hmm. um but I think that it still doesn't feel real. Like mm-hmm. there's times when I'm running and I'm thinking about my next marathon, what my pace is going to be and then what that means. And then I think about Houston, like, well, what did I do in Houston? Like, I kind of like backtrack and then I just laugh. I'm like, How, what? Me? That's pretty wild. But I don't know. I think the thing that I'm just so proud of is that I've done this my way you know, yeah. like I've been really like true to myself and what excites me. And, you know, with my coach, Scott Roscoe, like we trained in a way that I think really works for me. I think it's a little bit more unique for marathon training, but, um, you know, I've had a lot of fun. I've kind of been very lighthearted about it, but it's been cool to see kind of my way validated.
0: I've also read that you're a realtor there in, uh, Richmond, so if anybody needs to buy a house, hint, hint, <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> Marcella house, have you uh, continued working or uh, like when you were training for Houston and after that, or how do you kind of balance life and having kids and your training and everything?
2: Yeah, I've still been working. I've been kind of toying around with the idea with pulling back just a little bit because especially right now in this market, it's it's just bonkers. Yeah. But yeah, in a way, I think it keeps like the pressure off running because I'm stressed about real estate and not about running. You know, running's like my fun thing. And when I'm out running, it just feels like such a gift. Hmm. But yeah, I don't know. That's I don't know how, how I do it all, but it's uh, I think it takes a village. I have a lot of help. My family's really supportive and I ask for a lot of help. But yeah, it's, it's a crazy house, man. We have a lot going on all of the time. (laughs) I bet.
1: (laughs) Do you have a routine for staying strong and injury free? Because, you know, having that history of the ankle injury, I'm sure that you don't take being a healthy runner for granted. What does that look like for you?
2: Yeah, this is another thing I learned the hard way for sure through that ankle injury. And then last year, right before the Olympic track trials, I got injured from like a strength imbalance. And I think that that was kind of a long time coming that I wasn't doing enough strength. And there was an imbalance that I just didn't correct. So eventually that built up and it it injured me. But so now I'm really obsessive about it because the only thing worse than doing like prehab is doing rehab. <laughs> so I don't want to do that again. So I'll do whatever, whatever it takes. But I'm doing... Um, you know, I do hurdle mobility drills twice a week, I do Pilates once or twice a week, I have a strength routine that I do once or twice a week. And I do foot drills and toe yoga and special walks and I have like pedestal strength. And I do so many things now to make sure that I'm recovering and I'm, you know, going in 100%. So it, I mean, it, it feels like a full time job just staying
0: healthy in a way. So what is next? Are you training for something else this year?
2: Oh yeah. So I'm going to see how fast I can run and I'm going to switch gears, head to the track and wow. uh, try to make the 10 K team to compete at worlds this summer. So, awesome. um, so that's a plan. We'll see how quick these lakes can go.
0: And what about the, uh, Olympic marathon team for 2024?
2: Oh yeah. That is like target, zoned in. Like, yeah, that is, that's like the big overall thing. Yeah. Not an Olympian yet. So I would really like to be.
0: (laughs) Are there runners that have been like a source of inspiration to you through the years and your, your journey?
2: Yeah. A lot of people, I think, um, probably the most inspirational runner is someone I went to high school, college and trained with post-collegiately Samia Akbar. She was a senior when I was a freshman and kind of took me under her wing at Oakton High School. And then I followed her to American University and then on to D.C. Elite. But I think Samia is just an amazing person. And she treats running like truly as a gift that she really enjoys. And I just Mm -hmm. learned to really love running and everything around it from her.
0: I think that's like what I'm going to take away. One of the things from this conversation is like, remember, this is a gift. And this is something that we should be having fun with and enjoying. If it feels too much like work, I'm going to bail on it you now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. We already have enough work and we already have enough like hard things in our lives. But it's funny, too, because a lot of people ask me like, oh, I really want to do a marathon, but I'm not motivated. What are your tips? I'm like, don't do a marathon then, man. Like if you are not motivated, <laughs> don't do it. Find something else that gets you excited. What excites you about running? Like find exactly. that goal in running. Like, I spoke to someone else. She's like, I love to run. I just don't like to race. What would should I do? I'm like, then don't race. (laughs) Just just run, man. That's like running is so great and just having it in your life. I don't know. I feel like if anyone takes anything away, like lean into running for like what excites you and like it doesn't have to be the standard chase this race. It could be just trying to see how many miles you could build up to and stay healthy. Maybe that's exciting for you or, you know, running a quick mile may still get you going. So I think, you know, we can all kind of tailor our goals for just what excites us.
0: Perfect. Well, it's been an honor speaking with you. And if folks want to find out more about you and find you online, where can we send them?
2: Uh, I'm on Instagram at Kira D'Amato. And I try my best to answer all messages and stuff on there. But I'm also on Strava. Are you guys on Strava?
1: Yeah. Okay. Strava
2: is like my favorite social media app. It's a lot of fun. You're not a
0: real runner if you're not on Strava, Uh right?
2: (laughs) I started Strava when I just like my husband and my mother-in-law were following me. So and I would put up my runs for like the two kudos that I would get from them for a while. Yeah. My only goals were like getting the local ledge or not or the segment kings or king of the hill. You know, that was my race that I would train for these segments in my neighborhood And I would get really upset when people would take my crown. So then I'd have to train harder (laughs) and go get that crown back. But uh, thanks for having me. And I'll see you guys in Richmond.
0: All right. Well, thank you to Kira D'Amato for joining us on the MTA podcast and sharing her story. It's an amazing story because we've talked to a lot of elite runners through the years, and I just admire all of them. You know, the dedication, the discipline, and it's like there's more of a traditional path with you know, going to these elite training camps, for example, or, you know, training more at elevation. But Kira's path is definitely, as she describes it, the road less traveled.
1: (laughs) That's right. And so even if you can never see yourself setting an American record, or qualifying for the Olympics, I think it's really encouraging just to us average runners, that maybe you've had some roadblocks in your running journey. Um, Maybe you've had some unwanted detours, or things have been a bit bumpy. Um, but you can still achieve your goals. And I just you know, love her mindset that she tries to keep it fun. She does it her way. And it's obviously working really well for her.
0: You think? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for being a listener. You guys are awesome. If you have anything we can help you with, we'd love to connect with you. We have a contact form on our website, let us know how we can help you in your training. Just go to marathontrainingacademy.com. Just want to encourage you to keep taking action. It is worth it. It will be worth it. And remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life.